movies and booze on Moncrief. Brought to you by Lidl's award-winning wine range. Lidl, more for you. Enjoy alcohol sensibly. Visit drinkaware.ie. Uh, I'm delighted to say we are joined uh, once again by uh, Mick O'Connell, Esther McCarthy and Fanola Jones. Good afternoon to you all. Good afternoon. Hi, Sean. Hi, Sean. Ah, there you all are. That's, uh, that's fantastic. Mick, what are we going to be talking about today? We're going to be doing whites because there's a hint of spring in the air. So we're doing one, which is a Picpoule de Pinay. Um, so that's the Languedoc, the south of France. And then we're doing another, which is a really foody kind of traditional wine um, from Rioja, but a white wine from Rioja called Ooh. Allegre Valganon. Very, very good. Uh, do they do many white wines in Rioja? You know, they do make quite a bit, but a lot of it is consumed there in Rioja. And in, in terms of, you know, in the big commercial spin on things, Rioja is all about red wine. Right. Yeah, because yeah, I didn't even know uh, they did that. Uh, and Esther, at least one of the movies, uh, this is Promising Young Woman, it seems to have generated a bit of controversy. Is it basically the plot of I Spit on Your Grave? Uh, if you're talking about revenge fantasy I, it's a long time since i saw this bit in your grave um i would say it's not it's not as what it's, it's presented to be actually um there's a lot more going on than what this has been marketed at i think and there's a lot of stuff about grief and bereavement in there and uh all of that sort of thing uh and she's a very interesting character and i know there was controversy about the casting um and and i was kind of I'm not mad about Kerry Mulligan as an actor because there's an aloofness about her, I find sometimes that I find hard to tap into, especially in her more romantic roles, a kind of a Nicole Kidman-ness, I would mm. call it, um, that, Nicole, that Nicole Kidman in the latter half of her career now uses to brilliant effect, I think, in, in arthouse films. And I think it's one of the savvier bits of casting here. I think um, Emerald Fennell writer and director really taps into that elusiveness and that coldness and uses it really well in, in her performance here, I think. So for me, I, uh, Kerry Mulligan was a, a very clever, savvy piece of casting, doing something we haven't seen her do before. Right. OK. Uh, and the other film is it's a, is the documentary, uh, uh, Henry Glassy, about whom I know nothing. Yeah, me neither. And he's, he's a really he's kind of celebrated in America. Um, He's a folklorist, basically. He travels the world, um, you know, documenting people making art. And it's usually very simple working class people just making stuff for the love of making it. Um, As he says in the film, I think it's it's a lovely way of putting it. It says, what do people choose to present as emblems of their being? So it's a really it's a proper art house documentary. This is it's beautifully shot, directed by um, Pat Collins, who people will know from Silence and the wonderful um, Song of Granite a few years ago. He's a great filmmaker, a modest man, uh, depicting a modest man here, I think. Uh, Both of them want to make it all about the artists and the creators. So this is really lovely. This was due out, Sean, um, you know, an independent Irish release from Eclipse Pictures um, was due out in October. Cinemas closed just days before and it, it fell really badly for this title because a lot of the press had already gone. Um, so here it is. They are streaming it on several sites, including IFI at Home, Volta and um, Gate Cinemas online from today. Right. OK. Uh, already, uh, Porrick saying there's a white Rioja. Is Rioja not defined by being red? Turns out not. Uh, but it seems like all the Riochans drink it before they uh, get to hear about it. Uh, can... <laughs> 
I don't know if there's such a thing. Can Mick recommend a good straw extension that will fit into the length of a wine bottle? I can't be doing with wine glasses today. I'm having one of those days. Is there such a thing, Mick? I, I think go straight for a screw cap, easy access, and then do the make it into a vertical position and go direct down the throat. That's probably the best way to go. No oh, need for straws. No need for straws. Or maybe just say you could put a little straw in and, uh, you know, in case there's any spillage, put a, uh, put a little hole in the top of the screw cap and, you know, Bob's your sister. That'd there be you great. Go. Yeah. Uh, Fanula, how are you? I'm great now. How are you, Sean? Ah, sure. You know, I'm all right. Uh, there's going to be another Raiders of the Lost Ark film. Seriously? Yeah, this is... I don't know if this is the news anyone wanted. I would be interested to hear what people think. But um, yeah, Indiana Jones 5, uh, it, has been, it has been massively delayed, but it's coming July 2022. Not a lot. We know yet about plot, but in terms of cast, we have Phoebe Waller-Bridge is signed up to it, which again, seems like strange casting. Not really sure. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen, who I like a lot more, he's also been cast. Again, not sure about his role, but he's usually a baddie villain mm. person, so I'd imagine it'll be something similar here. Steven Spielberg is not directing. It's James Mansgold. He's uh, taking over proceedings. Um, and as you said, I don't really think there's a need. But when you look at the commercial success of the last one, which was in 2008, this was Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, that made $790 million globally. So I think this is what they're after, as opposed to um, actually maybe making a good movie or want which is probably not making another movie they right. don't care, they don't care. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen is he he was the guy with the weeping eye in the James Bond film is he the guy that does the Carlsberg ads or is that a different guy no that is the same guy right um, okay. he's actually in he's in a he's in an Oscar nominated thing as well that I haven't seen but I'm hearing a lot of buzz about another round and um, it's up for best mm. international feature and best director uh, I'm mad to see it and also obviously how can I not mention Harrison Ford he is back as the swashbuckling archaeologist 78 still going um i don't know why he's doing this though like the check must be serious because why like i just don't understand uh well i suppose you know it keeps him out of the house uh, uh it's probably something to do but i mean i don't know how they're going to show uh i mean he, he wouldn't be able to run or anything like that i would have thought it's going to be CGI legs or something, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Or really small boulders. Much smaller boulders, I'd say. Or, or, yeah. Or maybe he's in some sort of power wheelchair. And is there <laughs> any word at what era they set it in? Because, uh, I don't know. It was all kind of World War II-ish kind of time, I suppose. So, you know, is it now in the 1970s, given he's, he's 78 and everyone's wearing huge collars? That would be fun. That would be fun, yeah. But t- t- details are very much still under wraps. So we will have to see. I was thinking, like, is it going to be modern day? Like, how are they going to... What is he going to be after then in the in the teenies as an archaeologist? I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to see. Yeah. And, you know, he's 78. He's not going to be snogging anyone. Or, you know, it's going to be serious ick uh, if we're at that place. <laughs> That's one way to put it. Uh, that is one way to put it. I would have thought. You said that. it, not me. Uh, right. So, uh, <laughs> Mick, tell us about our, our first wine today. Well, we, we, we must start with the white Rioja, I guess, because because um, people have already taken an interest in it. So obviously with, with Rioja in general, most of us just know it as, as a red wine making region. Um, but they actually do, they do make some interesting whites as well. The, the grape varieties here tend to be Viura, V-I-U-R-A. It's not something that we hear a lot of in any other part of the world, really. And then uh, white Grenache or Garnacha, as they call it there. Um, this particular wine is by a producer called Allegre Val. 
Algonon, and that is the surnames of the husband and wife team. So it's Oscar Allegre and Ava Valganon who are behind this. And these guys are super, super traditional Rioja producers. So we all kind of know Rioja as Crianza, Reserva, Gran Reserva, and, and really that defines the amount of time that they spend in wood, each of those wines, so in, in oak barrels. Um, and what Oscar and Ava are trying to do, they're trying to kind of get away from that winemaking side of things in Rioja, and they're really trying to get back to the land. They're trying to look at w- what happens in viticulture and how the grapes are grown, and then they're making the wines in a super, super traditional way. So they avoid the kind of Crianza Reserva, Gran Reserva, oak aging, and kind of um, the pyramid of quality that's there already. Um, this particular wine, it's a 2019 vintage, so it does spend a year in old oak, but you don't get any of that kind of really big vanilla, buttery kind of style that you get when you oak white wines heavily. Um, in, in terms of style, it is most like, I suppose, a white burgundy or something like that mm-hmm. um, in terms of the character. But what you get here, which is really defining for white Rioja, is this kind of saltiness. And they are fantastic food wines, really great food wines. They go with all sorts of food um, from kind of pizza and things like that to obviously your Spanish tapas, but but really, really good with meats as well. And this particular white wine has a little bit of skin contact. So that makes it even more food friendly again. This is this is really stunning food wine. Um, they're not widely available, but White Rioja is really worth looking out for. Right. Okay. Sounds lovely. Uh, I just uh, uh, forgot to mention the uh, hashtag on Twitter today is Banjaxed Movies. Uh, and already uh, hundreds of uh, uh, various suggestions on that uh, are in front of the screen of, uh, in front of me. So I'll, I'll try and get to some of them later on. Uh, Esther, uh, what movie would you like to talk about first? Oh gosh, we'll have to talk about. There's so much to talk about. Promising young young woman, Sean. So okay. much. All right, great. Right, are we going to have a promising young woman after this? I left because of what happened to Nina, Nina Fisher. You don't remember her? Maybe you remember Alexander Monroe? Oh yes, Alexander Monroe. He actually just came back and gave a talk here. Oh, he's a he's a really nice guy. Really smart. Are you a friend of his? No. So you don't remember the accusations made against Al Monroe? I don't. He took a girl, Nina Fisher, the one you don't remember, back to his room where he had sex with her repeatedly and in front of his friends while she was too drunk to have any idea what was going on. She was covered in bruises the next day. Handprints, I guess you could say. Was it reported? Yes. Do you know who Nina spoke to? You. Okay. Uh, right. Okay. That's a promising young woman that was uh, Kerry Mulligan, obviously, you heard there. And uh, is it too simplistic, Esther, to call it some kind of a revenge movie? Yeah, it is. And it's not what it is. And it's, you know, it's a bit naughty that it's been marketed that way, let's say. Because this, um, this is more about a reckoning. And I think that scene really feeds into that because that's the dean of the college, um, the medical school college that Kerry Mulligan's character, Cassie, and her friend Nina used to attend. Um, and what she's referencing there is this is this is about a reckoning, really, I suppose, um, because there's so many spoilers I have to avoid. John, sorry, I have to be so careful with this, because what what this film does really well and what excites me about Emerald Fennel as a as a filmmaker is it keeps you guessing. It does that, all that really good storytelling stuff in its initial setups. You're going 
oh, what did, what happened there? Why did she do that? Who's that person? And what what how does that feed into this? And how how does she not know that it's her 30th birthday, for example? <laughs> you know, so mm. your mind is, is working overtime. Um, in the initial setups. Now that collapses a bit for me um, towards the end, but I think that's what's really interesting. And I want other people to have that experience. But suffice to say, since we've played that scene, that her friend years earlier was very badly raped. Um, It's a word that's never used in the film, interestingly, uh, but Mm. it's a word I'll use um, because she she had uh, a guy had non-consensual sex with her while she was drunk. It was filmed in front of a group of um, of guys who were kind of uh, laughing as well. And this tape surfaces years later. And Carrie Mulligan has really been, when I say this is about, you know, a, a type of grief, I suppose, a pining for the life you've lost. Um, in her case, she is stuck, like she's turned 30. Her parents are really alarmed um, by the fact that she doesn't realise it's her 30th birthday. She's forgotten it. Um, and so that's kind of bizarre. And you also go, to, you know, it flags the question then like kind of like in, in Joker, you know, is this person having a mental breakdown or are they really savvy or is the, are the lines blurred between the two here? Um, and I think she just has this kind of meltdown. She hits 30 because she left law school following that rape incident um, and has had to learn to live with the aftermath of it, I suppose. Um, but she every night and the setup is fantastic every night she gets uh, once a week she gets dressed up unbeknownst to anyone um and feigns goes to a local nightclub and feigns drunkenness uh she's invariably approached by a nice guy who wants to help her but in reality they usually want to take advantage of a woman who's not in consensual control so she, you know, she usually ends up in their apartment and important things happen. I think this is why it's a really important film about consent. You know, she asks to go home. She says she's too drunk um, and all those pot points are in there. And I think that's really important that they are because I would not like any of that stuff blurred. Um, but once it's very obvious that the person's going to have sex with her, she reveals her stone cold sober self and schools the men. Um, and their reactions speak for themselves. Like they're absolutely horrified to realize she's not drunk, <laughs> you mm. know, so that's that speaks for itself. And their punishments then I'm not going to go into because yeah. you're kept guessing, as I say. But I would I suppose what happens to them depends on, on their unspecified behaviors, which she kind of logs in this notebook that she keeps under her bed. And again, that's all just alluded to. You're not given you're not filled. Not all the blanks are filled in there. Um, so that was kind of really interesting. Um, and it's, I, I suppose that happens a few times. And I think the casting of the men who would be kind of right on indie cool actors like Bo Burnham and Christopher Mintz Plass, I think that's very clever casting to have those as the the guys, you know. Um, and, and Burnham's character actually is a former student of the school as well, who's quite taken with Cassie and tries to persuade her to go out with him. So the, that's for me, though, maybe one of the problems with the film, because it's a very problematic film. And I, I can tell you, Sean, we're going to be talking about this on air for weeks. It's going to be that movie. Um, mm, yeah, I oh, know. I can even from what you've described, I can see how uh, um, uh, some people might have a, a problem with that. 
yeah. yeah. I mean, I, there's a there's an angry power to it, which I really loved. And there's an energy to it, which I really loved. But structurally, I had a lot of issues with it. And I think that's going to be why it's such a divisive film. I think a lot of, you know, there was I, I was asking questions about plotting from early on, you know, and I was trying to go, no, this is a kind of almost fantastical film. You have to let that go and park it. But then do you really, you know, if it was another revenge thriller or another genre, would you be still identifying holes in plotting? Um, so I think what they're I think what they're trying to do here, um, em- Emerald Fennel and her team is just too much. Um, it's, you know, it goes into romantic comedy territory at one stage. It's a thriller. It's a film about loss. Um, and it's kind of all very dialed up as well in a production design style that I quite liked, but all, all, also served as a distraction. And there are a lot, a lot of plot pivots and shocks that, you know, well, how, I find it hard to get on board with a lot of modern episodic telly because sometimes a twist feels like it's put there for the sake of it. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of that feeds into this film. And I think it's interesting that Fennel's background is in as, as a showrunner for Killing Eve. So that's a personal matter, Chase, for me. It's not something I'm mad about. Yeah. But then it makes um, some, it, then it makes some judgment calls towards the end of the film that I can't go into again. Um, but I really felt they hadn't been earned. I really felt they hadn't been earned in the storytelling. And a lot of it towards the end felt very much at odds um, with everything I took to understand from the story beforehand. Right. People will come back to me. <laughs> People will come back to me down the line and say, you just didn't get it. And I, I mm. do get it. I get what they're trying to achieve in a scene. Uh, you will know it when you see it, John. Um, I get what they're trying to achieve and how they're trying to make that about someone else. And the whole point of that, but I don't think it succeeds in achieving that. So I did feel a bit cheated towards the end of but the stories that, you know, there was just too much going on, I think. Yeah. The setup, the setup is so smashingly clever and brilliant. I mean, there was enough there, I think, um, without bringing in all these plot elements to it. Yeah. But I, it's about I, a reckoning. It's about her, you know, tracking down the people involved on that night. Some of them women. Yeah. Interestingly. Yeah. yeah. And interestingly, some of the women get um, a hard time, a harder time than the guys. So, yeah. I, you know, there's that to talk about as well. OK, my um, word. Yeah. And of yeah. course, Emerald Fallon was in, people will remember, from Call the Midwife. So uh, she's had uh, quite a very talented woman, obviously. Uh, Rachel yeah. says, I've seen it. It's had some really bad reviews. I thought the trailer was fantastic. I've high hopes, even if Carrie Mulligan is a bit annoying. So, you know, uh, but maybe, as you say, that kind of distance, maybe even the annoyingness uh, can be used to uh, to good effect uh, in, in this particular movie. Uh, the hashtag is uh, Banjaxed Movies today. Uh, Raiders of the Sore Arse uh, being one example of that. And uh, we were talking as well about uh, that there's going to be an Indiana Jones 5. Uh, someone's texted in, and I'm sure it's on very good authority, uh, that uh, I've heard the plot for the new Indiana Jones movie. He finds a 10 million old dinosaur, a 10 million year old dinosaur bone and then performs his own hip replacement using said bones, uh, says Owen from the People's Front uh, of Judea. And uh, the and Fanula, the, the Gucci family, that have the narc with Lady Gaga or is it all the people making the film about them? 
I think it's everyone, but I think by association, Lady Gaga is not in uh, the Gucci family good books. I think we I think we spoke about this a few weeks ago about these viral photos of uh, Adam Driver and Lady Gaga. They're uh, starring in this Ridley Scott uh, biopic about the Gucci family, specifically Maurizio Gucci's murder. Um, it's not due out until uh, next year, but it's already making waves among his family members. Um, there's a lot of like second cousins coming out of the woodworks and giving interviews saying that they're disappointed. There's one quote here that says they are stealing the identity of a family to make a profit, to increase the income of the Hollywood system. Um, our family has an identity, privacy. We can talk about everything, but there's a borderline that cannot be crossed. It's interesting because there's a, so there's a co-producer on the film, uh, Giannini Fascio. Um, they, I think that person had previously spoken with members of the family. Uh, I, I think last decade relating to another project. Um, but apparently they're not happy about this and they're not happy about, about this specific portrayal. Um, uh, and I think the issue is around uh, Driver and Lady Gaga. I thought this was funny and I probably shouldn't. But anyway, uh, there was one another quote that says, my grandfather was a very handsome man, like all the Gucci's and very tall, blue eyes and very elegant. He's being played by Al Pacino, who's not very tall already. And this photo shows him as a fat, short man with sideburns, really ugly, shameful because it doesn't resemble him at all. <laughs> Poor old Al Pacino getting the absolute boot in. They're not happy about Jared Leto either. He's playing another one of the family members, Paolo Gucci. Um, they're saying horrible, that they're really offended. They're not happy. And I feel like this is just going to be, we're going to keep hearing about this probably until it's released. But yeah, yeah, I can't wait to hear what they have to say about poor Gaga, like in her get ups and everything else. I I don't, I bet, is it just really like they don't look like Gucci people? Is that, is that seem to be the, the basis the of their, yeah. They do. Like I had, I had no idea about this story before I saw the photos. And to be honest, I saw them and I was like, oh my God, they look unreal. Like couple goals, whatever, Adam Driver and Lady Gaga. But then I looked your one up, the wife um and like she is the spits of her and like adam driver does look like him probably less so i would say than gaga and your one but otherwise like they're not far in between so i don't know like i i don't know if it's the issue as a whole and or the movie as a whole and they're trying to take issue with that because obviously this is a contentious story like there's a murder at the heart of this obviously it's very sensitive but like it just it's it's very strange. It's very very strange because they do they do look alike. No one could say that they couldn't if you looked up the photos. Yeah, maybe it's just because somebody else is making money out of the name Gucci for a change. Maybe that's what. Totally. Yeah, I, what there's definitely an element about. to that as well. I'd say. Yeah. yeah. One more wine. One more movie. Movie to talk about after this. We're listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Uh, we're uh, no three quarters away, I suppose, through uh, movies and booze. Uh, we've already discussed uh, one one particular movie that be promising young woman, and uh, we've had a nice white wine. Uh, the hashtag is Banjax movies. Shite Hawk Down being uh, an example of that. Uh, another texter says your selection of movies this last few weeks are not the most cheery. Bloody hell! I'll be slugging a bottle of whiskey over the weekend instead of a nice beer. That is a classic example of someone with an alcohol problem trying desperately to blame somebody else for it. In this case, a radio programme made me do it. Uh, Jerry says, I watched Godzilla vs. King Kong with the sun last weekend. What a great movie. That was a complete distraction. I mean, it's pure nonsense, uh, but that's exactly what I need. It's really recommended to get uh, your head out of anything uh, that's stressing you. I agree with you, Jerry. I, I watched it last weekend. It is total nonsense. Other than King Kong's really crap at fighting. Uh, I don't know why he kept going back for more, really, because Godzilla was going to take him down uh, every time, I would have thought. Uh, Mick, somebody wants to know any apple wines you can suggest. I feel like something sweet this weekend. 
Oh, Killahora, which is an which is an Irish one, is absolutely fantastic. So yeah, look look them up. They're they're relatively widely distributed, so you'll find them in your independent merchants. But but Killahora, fantastic stuff. Uh, has Mick had any issues with ordering wine from abroad since Brexit? I've been right uh, waiting about eight or nine weeks now for a case of wine, and no sign yet. Says Owen. Um, yes. So like. It's very, very difficult to ship anything in at the moment. But but obviously the, the trick with wine is when you're bringing it in, you must pay the duty. So um, you're going to be held up at customs at the moment based on Brexit. And a, a lot of people who are shipping stuff from the UK to Ireland just are saying, no, we're not going to do it at the moment because the paperwork is terrible. But look, ah, the best thing right. to do always is just to support local and, and buy it at Irish merchants where you can. Uh, Kate says, are there any other red wines uh, that are now white versions that Mick would recommend trying? This is like a whole new world has opened up to me. A year of pandemic wine drinking and I'm still learning. So I, I guess that listener is talking about the kind of Rioja white and where we're used to it being Rioja red. There aren't there aren't many regions like that where they're super, super, super famous for their reds and less so for their whites. But but Bordeaux is one example. I mean, we, we do really think about Bordeaux as red wines made from Cabernet and Merlot, but they do amazing white wines from Sauvignon Blanc and Semillon as well. What's really, really interesting is you can get a load of white wines that are made from red grapes so the odd time you'd get pinot noir that was actually a white wine so ah. that can be interesting and worth looking out mm. for and, and the classic example of that is is champagne uh, Maeve wants to know are there any good english wines asking for my wine loving english friend who's missing home they're not necessarily the wines of home i suppose uh, says Maeve, they do make some sparkling wines do they down in the kind of south of the country they do, they do, all kind of around Brighton and Kent. Um, they make some really, really excellent sparkling wines and very much in the champagne vein. Um, Nightember would be the most famous one, um, but you have guys called Whiston Estate, um, Pierre Sugru. What is interesting about those three producers is there's a, a, a chap called Dermot Sugru, who is an Irish guy, I think from Limerick, um, and he was the winemaker that kind of put Nightember on the map, and he is the winemaker at Whiston Estate, and Pierre Sugru is his own um, is his own estate. So there's a good Irish link with those three English sparkling wines, which are, I have to say, really, really high quality. Now, actually, this question came up last week as well. This person says, in the last month, I've broken three corkscrews. Don't know what's going on, but I've never seen the like. Can Mick recommend a good sturdy corkscrew that is unbreakable, or should I go for one of those air pump ones and avoid the standard altogether maybe this person is just a bit too eager maybe that's but i've done this a couple of times as well in the last few months i i think this is probably a covid related problem where mm. we're all just drinking more at home please please bring us back to restaurants where someone else can break their corkscrews that would be fantastic but um the the most hardy corkscrews are waiters friends they are the they are the traditional ones don't go for those butterfly ones where you have to have the two hands on either side that they they break most easily the waiter's friend is the kind of for want of a better term, banana-shaped one with the with the corkscrew bit in the middle. They they are they tend to be the hardiest ones, and you should be able to pick up a simple one of those for for ten euros. Uh, right, okay, and that's with everybody in, in the uh, in the white. But even like I assume though for the waiter's friends ones, and people will know they're the bog standard ones. Um, there, there's a like, is there a range where there's good ones and not so good ones? 
Yeah, what's that French company that does the great casserole dishes, Le Creuset? They yeah. do they they do hardy waiter's friends. But realistically, it's the shape of the waiter's friend that helps you because it's all about the leverage. And as soon as you go into anything that's other than that shape, you start breaking them. The other thing is you need two steps on the the silver part which you're wedging up against the neck. There needs to be two steps in that. If there's only one step, then they break easily as well. Ah, right. So you have to get it in as far as you can. So you you put the corkscrew in halfway and then you use the first step to get the cork, to nudge the cork out a little bit. And then you put the corkscrew in the whole way and then you use the second step to pull it out the whole lot. All right. Okay. That sounds like a lesson for many things in life. Tell us about uh, the second (laughs) wine today, Mick. So the second wine is a Pitbull de Pinay. So this is from uh, a producer called Christophe Mouret, um, who, funnily enough, at one point was France's biggest watermelon farmer, Hmm. but decided to uh, go into he has a fascination with the grape variety Syrah or Shiraz and also loves Pickpool so he decided that he wanted to become a winemaker now realistically the reason that I put this on this is properly holiday dreaming wine so this is from um, the south of France it's from the southern Languedoc it's between Béziers and Montpellier um, the, the grapes are grown just beside a place called the Bassin de Tan, which is like a, a lagoon that's just there on the, on the southern Languedoc. And it's really famous for oysters. And this is just absolute heaven for fish. This is clean, crisp, vibrant kind of style of wine, not dissimilar to um, Albarino, and in some ways a little bit like Gruner Veltliner or Sauvignon Blanc, really crisp and refreshing. And it just calls out for kind of sunshine and summer holidays. This is also really, really great value. This is 17 euros and it's relatively widely available. You can get it in Green Man, Station to Station, Bonobo, Ruby and Galway. It's all over the place, but it, it has quite a standish label as well. Um, it's quite an Art Deco label. It's up on our Twitter account at the moment. But look, this is... Once the government are forced to do a turnaround on that hotel quarantine and we can all start planning holidays to France again for the summertime and dreaming, this is the place that you want to go. Right. Okay. Stop now. Uh, stop, stop playing with my heart there, uh, uh, Mick. Uh, and uh, uh, in relation actually to uh, to the film we're uh, just uh, about to talk about, uh, someone's texted in to say that Henry Glassy wrote the best ever book on life in rural Ireland, passing the time in Ballymanone, an academic work, but reads like a beautifully lyrical poem, really looking forward to the documentary. So here's a clip of the documentary. What I do is I don't study people at all. I stand with people and study the things that they create. That's what interests me. What do they choose to present as emblems of their being? Art might be the telling of stories. It might be the plowing of a beautiful field. It might be the building of a fine house. It might be the making of a great dinner. Whatever materials I choose, whatever medium I choose, whatever vehicle, whatever genre, that doesn't matter. What matters is the, is the passion of devotion. Uh, there you go. Uh, that's uh, that film there uh, about Henry Glassy called Henry Glassy Fieldwork. Uh, so uh, are we following Henry Glassy as he as he tours various places, Esther? Exactly it. And, and as, as your um, contributor said there, there's a lovely element about that Fermanagh, uh, a town where he lives. And as he describes it in um, in the film, he says, Ireland's glory is verbal. 
Um, what a lovely way to put it. And and the focus on the, that border town where he deliberately went to live during the Troubles. He wanted to live in a town near the border during the Troubles to experience what that culture and society would be like for people. So it's a very, very, very interesting man. Um, and the, that, that, you know, when he goes back there, it's all about the storytelling and there are some real characters in the film. It's lovely. Um, but yeah, we, we also get to go to Salvador um, in Brazil, where people are making pottery and statues. Um, and we get to go to various parts of America as well. Um, as he says to himself, I don't study people. I stand with them and study the things that they create. And that's what this film is all about. It's um, the process of creating, really, and some of the stuff that these people in their very, very modest homes, in their very, very moderate, modest worlds create is incredibly beautiful. And I mean, this is pure art house um, filmmaking. Like there's a lengthy, lengthy um, section where people um, are making statues. There's very little, if, if any, dialogue and you're just watching the process. So this is really art house filmmaking at its best and most visually beautiful. Um, and, you know, the, it kind of focuses on the idea that everyone, regardless of class or knowledge, um, has the potential and the power to be an artist. And as he says in the in the in this in the clip you played there, you know, if that's even plowing a field, there is a way of doing it. It's kind of feeding into the whole idea. I think if, if you're going to be a bin man, be the best bin man in the world. Um, and it's just lovely. Directed by Pat Collins. Um, his follow up to the wonderful um, award winning Song of Granite. Um, and this is just a very, very powerful and moving piece of work for him. Mm. Um, it embraces, I suppose, it embraces the artistic in the everyday. It's that simple, really, Sean. I, you know, there's there's not much more I can say about it. And just, it's just a lovely film. Yeah, there it is on um, on Volta, on IFI at home and on Gates and Cinemas Online. This one should have been in the cinemas, lamenting the mm. fact that it isn't. It's so lovely looking, but um, it got stung. It's one of the, the very good Irish films that got stung by the, the crazy year we've had. And I'm well worth your rental price tonight if you're looking for something really different. Yeah, actually, I don't think we I, I, I don't think I asked you a promising young woman. Where can people see that? Oh, gosh, I'm glad you said. Yep, that's on Sky and on Now TV from today. Right, okay, on Sky and Now TV from today. Okay, that's a, a pretty straightforward place to find it. Uh, uh, and in relation to the corkscrew, bit of a pushback there uh, against you, Mick. Nora says, I, I use the butterfly one, uh, though in the down position, it's more like an owl, good point. Uh, for years, no problem, easy to use, works every time. Uh, though Kieran says, uh, I agree that the waiter's friend is the best type of corkscrew. Having opened many bottles of wine over the years for others and a few for me, however, for the layperson, they can be a bit daunting. I suggest you look at a YouTube video, seeing as that's where you learn how to do everything these days. On another point, I just got my first ever Movies and Booze hashtag read out today by you on the radio, not just some random punter. This tops my four times being in Ivan's top three, which have all been celebrated in due fashion. Uh, uh, says Kieran. So, Kieran, I think you have more skill with that, uh, uh, with that waiter's friend that you're letting on there. Uh, can Mink recommend a rosé for someone who likes Chardonnay but dislikes Sauve Blanc and Pinot Grigio? Preferably vegan, says Ro. Crikey, that's very specific. Say that again. It, preferably vegan, dislikes. Preferably, uh, rosé dislikes uh, Sauve Blanc and Pinot Grigio. 
Okay, yeah, I, I think I think Annie Rose from Provence will 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 tick the box there. So they're really dry styles. So they're not that kind of crisp, um, acidic kind of style like a like a Sauvignon Blanc. Um, you've got the the famous one at the moment, of course, is Whispering Angel, which is widely available. Um, that's got that kind of dry herbal garrigue thing that will also transport you to the south of France. But that's that's very good. Uh, and uh, Tommy actually agree, agrees with you as well. He says, can I really recommend uh, uh, the Le Creuset Waiter's Friend, uh, which you can even get in TK Maxx a bit cheaper. Oh, you mean you could. Uh, it makes for an amazing gift. Uh, you'd never really buy it for yourself, really. Uh, can you get orange wines in Cork or could I purchase online? I've been wanting to try it for ages and about to give up, but I feel lucky today. Uh, so, uh, yeah, what do you think, mate? You- you can definitely get orange wine in Cork. Yeah, so there's a, a fantastic off-license in the centre of Cork. I think it's North Main Street, which is called Bradley's. And they have a fantastic kind of organic and natural wine selection there. And there's a guy called Brian who long play wines or Brian's Wines. And he's based out of Kinsale. And he has some really quirky, funky um, orange wines available as well. So plenty of options. Uh, and uh, as Esther mentioned there, uh, um, one of the uh, many films, well, I suppose both the films we were talking about today, probably the original intention was that they might end up in a cinema. Uh, God knows when that's going to happen in this country. But uh, uh, Fanula, there are signs in Hollywood, at least, that uh, they're, they're easing into the post-pandemic period. Yeah, this was a really interesting piece in the Los Angeles Times. But even I, like I'd follow a few people who are in New York and even they're kind of documenting on their Instagram stories, you know, like the sets on the street and the signs and prop houses and everything else. I think California, they're looking to have the state's economy open by June 15th. Um, and they're kind of really looking to get it back to where it was. I think for us as consumers, it's kind of been easy to to not laugh it off, but I mean, see it from the perspective of, oh, like we've had all these movies pushed out and kind of laugh at things like Bond, like we're never going to get it or whatever. But it's had a real impact. And this piece really illustrates that in terms of employment and jobs, like the number of people employed in LA, that fell from like 152,000 to 92,000 between February 2020 and January 2021. And even now, they only reckon like the production is back at kind of 60% of normal activity, um, which is positive. I think we're getting there. As you said, a lot of productions are back in the swing. The Grey Man is one of them. This isn't one that I knew anything about. It's a big budget action film. Ryan Gosling, Chris Evans, uh, that's going to be on Netflix at some stage. Um, I think we've mentioned a few times on the show and in my segment itself, uh, In the Heights is coming from John M. Chu. That was kind of one of the big victims of the COVID pushbacks as well. That was, uh, it's really interesting. He talks about the the delays in this piece, John M. Chu. And he says like they were going into sound mixing, I think in March 2020 and they were filming in New York and going into everything else. And then obviously everything was shut down. People were fleeing offices and everything else. um, And they didn't start back up again until August um, and had to relocate to Los Angeles. But um, as I said, out in June, that's going to be amazing. Uh, Another really interesting thing about insurance as well, which I just thought was mad, but I, I suppose makes sense when you think about it. Uh, there's another movie, Ben Affleck, my fave. He's going to be in a thriller uh, called Hypnotic. Um, and that's looking to be in around the $70 million mark. But to ensure something like that, uh, the experts are saying that it's like it's jumped tenfold to $7 million. Mm. Wow. Is that because of um, Ben Affleck or, or, or because of the pandemic? 
I'd imagine Jan has a massive broad shoulders. I'm sure there's, I'm sure that comes with a separate fee itself and his coffee bill, I would mm. imagine, prevent coffee injuries and all that jazz. Um, they reckon that's going to go down, obviously, as vaccines become more available and everything else. But yeah, really interesting piece. And some really, it's one to look at and read because even the pictures, like there's clips from, or there's images from the set of like the bold and the beautiful, like the American soaps. And you just have actors like acting against like mannequins and stuff for scenes. It's so funny to even imagine it. And it even came up on, if anyone watches Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, which I do, I'm obsessed. Um, Denise Richards is in one of these American soaps at the minute. And she had to draft in her her husband for a love scene because obviously they couldn't, they couldn't be getting like normal actory mm. people in because she well, wouldn't be quarantining with them or whatever. And obviously that poses a risk. So I'm sure she was delighted to have her husband uh, in on the action. OK, it's nice to hear, though, that uh, they, uh, a few signs of things starting to uh, to open up again. Uh, just to remind you, because a few people are texting in to ask, the uh, two movies we were talking about today were Promising Young Woman and Henry Glassy Fieldwork. That's uh, the name of that second uh, documentary. Just want to read out uh, one of these uh, many reactions we got to uh, the the clip we played of somebody asking a really stupid question. Simon says, my three-year-old daughter uh, came back from her friend's house and told me about their three-legged dog. I asked her which leg the dog was missing. She looked incredulously at me and said, the fourth one. That's a lot uh, for today. Uh, thanks as ever to S. McCarthy, Mick O'Connell and Fanula Jones. Uh, Kieran's up next on Newstalk for the Hard Shoulder. Our production team today, Aidan McKelvey, Claire Collins and Michael Quilligan. We'll talk to you on Monday at two o'clock. Have a lovely weekend. Your little games don't like your tilted stage. The role you made me play of the fool. No, I don't like you. I don't like your perfect crime. How you laugh when you lie. You said the gun was mine. Isn't cool. No, I don't like you. Movies and Booze on Moncrief. Brought to you by Lidl's award-winning wine range. Lidl, more for you. Enjoy alcohol sensibly. Visit drinkaware.ie.